Hey guys, welcome back for the second episode of the Mark Miller Conversation. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the first one. I, I know we did. It was uh, really awesome to hear his uh, history with Robin and how he kind of got exposed to MVT. And uh, the second one, we get more into IMC and, and his role with that, how it began and how it kind of runs and how we can kind of incorporate some of the same principles with our practices that are maybe a little bit different. And so uh, enjoy this conversation with Mark Miller. Okay, Mark, so there's no question that the current state of the healthcare in the United States is a disaster. Um, we're, we're spending more. We're basically the sickest country in the world, or, you know, we're, we're one of those. And well, we, we keep saying that our healthcare system is the best, but that's an internal thing. But universally, we're not proving that out. That's true. Yeah, so give us the current state of, let's just say, musculoskeletal health. What kind of burden does that have? And, and I mean, where are we at right now? Are we making a dent? Are we, are we where, where are we at? All right, so, you know, this is this could be a long conversation. And um, for those that had to sit through the first podcast, you know that I can get long-winded. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Um, the World Health Organization in 2017 came out and they said, muscular, I mean, no, a low back pain, it was low back pain, is the number one chronic disease problem in the world. So it's not just an American problem, right? It's not just a North American problem. It is a worldwide problem. I'm going to talk to this about in a second. 2018, they came back out in one of their bulletins and they said, musculoskeletal is the number two chronic disability-based problem in the world. Now think about this. Are you kidding me? How is this happening? Okay, hold on. Chiropractor is becoming mainstream medicine, right? They're working in the hospitals and the VA. The literature is very clear as they continue to morph into a, a, a very um, scientifically based approach. Physical therapists, let's talk about them. They now get to get out of college and they're called doctors. And why? Because they now have this doctoral program. Physicians, primary care physicians, who, by the way, see 65% of all musculoskeletal. Now, five years ago, the data said it was 60. It's now gravitating more towards 70 because primary care is being asked to do more. So therefore, between 60 and 70% of all musculoskeletal starts at the primary care doctor's office, right? Primary care is now, now they now have a three to four year residency program after they get out of medical school. Everybody's advancing, right? Mm -hmm. We've got imaging that can pinpoint anything that's going. You can get an MRI tomorrow, and you'll see your grandmother's warts. I mean, that's that. That that is pretty cool. Right? Right? That got off the road. There you go. Okay. Weird, bro. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Where's the wart, Mark? Yeah. I can tell you this. Not only will it find your grandmother's warts, but I'll find you a surgeon that'll take it off, and your back will feel better. <laughs> How about that? Well, I mean, the other thing too, Mark. Not to interrupt you, but it. The one real important point, I think the author was in 2013, uh, maybe Webster, on like the downstream cost of yeah. if you do an early MRI. Like, it's not the cost of the MRI because that's actually pretty cost effective at this point. It's what happens on the education exactly. of the MRI after that. Yeah. So it's fine. Okay, you brought it up. It's a little little early on. A lot of your your viewers don't know. I, I am the president and the chief clinical officer for Integrated Musculoskeletal Care, which you know we affectionately call IMC. And our company's whole mission value is to, we are a healthcare transformation company. And what we're trying to do is to get the best care to as many people as possible. That's, that is our, our mission and vision, right? And so, because, well, but what's Cost happened. effective though. Well, fair enough. Okay. Because what's happened to get to this point where we're actually now creating healthcare transformation in the area of musculoskeletal, you got to have data, right? In God you trust, but in everybody else bring data. And everybody knows that. So, so, so what we've done, and we've done it before. Okay, my partner's name is Chad. Chad Gray. He's the CEO of the company, and I met him on a McKenzie course. He was taking the Part D. I was told by Scott Herbally, you're gonna meet a guy, sharp as heck, inquisitive as hell, and he will not leave you alone till he gets his answers. And 
he, I'm teaching a Part D. He's above everybody in the class. His his questions are like way beyond anything they'll probably ever think about in their lives. And I finally, finally had to pull him off. I go, you can't ask me any more questions. You're done. Throat slash. I said, but what I'll do is I'll be glad to talk to you after the class. And he goes, okay, great. Can we go for dinner? I go, no. Um, I'm out of town. I'm finally away. I got I got a I got a three year old and a one year old, and uh, I'm going to play golf. He goes. Can I come with you? I said, done. You'll get your questions answered then. And we became fast friends. And that, what, what happened was, we both got talking about how bad musculoskeletal healthcare delivery is. Clinicians, every clinician has a different story. They never treat any patient the exact same way. There's, there's no standardization. There's no quality assurance. You can have an MDT trained clinician who is a genius, and you can have an MDT trained clinician that you would send your worst enemy to, you know? And it's like, so what do we do about it? How, how are we? And then that's within MDT, which is something we, we understand pretty well, and, and they're doing pretty good work compared to what we, we think everybody else is doing. And then, so, so what happened was this. We started becoming friends and we started looking at this and then we started going, you know what? We gotta fix this. We have got to fix healthcare delivery as it's applied to musculoskeletal. So then you go, well, how do you do that? Well, you gotta start with an assessment process that at least has some level of intertestor reliability, mm -hmm. right? Now, granted, I must say, I was biased, I was a McKenzie faculty, but if you remember back to the first podcast, I was gonna quit musculoskeletal <laughs> management. I was out because I just was so frustrated. MDT kind of brought me back in. Now, Chad, he was in the same situation. Here I got this guy in Tallahassee, Florida, who is realizing I picked wrong again. And then, of course, he took an MDT course, but Chad was a little more inquisitive and a little more intuitive. What he started doing was, he started keeping outcomes on every one of his patients, which is not something that people did. But he wasn't doing it so that he could go out and market himself. He wasn't doing it so that um, he could go to parties and brag. What he, what he was doing was he was going, all right, I gotta try to change what I'm doing. I'm learning from these MDT courses, but I also gotta apply, and then I gotta go, all right, that's not working. Well, of course, I've been doing that myself. Now, I'd love to tell you, that I was way ahead of everybody else. <laughs> I knew that keeping data on patients was the way to go. No, all right? I'm on stage. I'm, I'm sponsoring, right? I'm telling people the way they might want to think, uh, but I didn't have a whole lot of scientific support. Mm -hmm. And so I started keeping outcomes on patients. I'll never forget this. I'm keeping outcomes, this is before Microsoft, this is before all that stuff, right? I'm keeping outcomes on patients. And I'm going, oh, that's working, that's not working. All right, and then I started, oh, well, I'm gonna do a McKenzie course to, uh, like two weeks from now. So I would make the, I draw these graphs on pieces of paper, and I'd go, this many people are getting better, this many people aren't, and, and this is what I'm doing to kind of fix the ones that aren't. And then I would take a photo, and I would take it down to a shop, and they would make me a slide of the photo, and then I would show that photo. Oh, God, you are old. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, dude. I'm telling you. And so that's how I was doing it. So so Chad and I became, we were kindred spirits. We were, like, you know, I was probably doing it a long time before he was, but we were doing the same thing. But we both recognized together that, you know what? The delivery system from a healthcare perspective for musculoskeletal is broken. And we know this stuff and we've got data to support it. Maybe we should do something. Maybe we can do something. So that's how we became partners. That's how we started this thing. But we also knew there's no way as physical therapists, any of the incumbents, right? Incumbents don't like change, right? So there's no way the AMA, there's no way the American Academy of Family Physicians, the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, no, none of these guys, none of these women, none of these groups are gonna allow us, even if we're right, they're not gonna allow us to change anything unless we have data, mm -hmm. right? So we started out figuring, you know what? We'll keep lots of data. We'll we'll continue to standardize what we're doing. And I I because I was the the guy that was doing the diploma program in Austin, and I I had kind of that kind of experience. Chad's like, you know what? I'm going to keep researching and, and and trying to find loop places, not loopholes, but places where we can kind of insert what we're trying to do. And you keep trying to build out 
the standardization piece. I said, that's perfect. I'll, I do that anyway. So I'll, let me try to figure out how to standardize MDT trained clinicians. And you keep trying to figure out how to get us into the market. And together, you and I will keep moving this thing forward. So that's how it started. So what year was that? That was around 2002, 2003. Yeah. So in, and then in 2008, there was a breakthrough. What happened was uh, Chad... And he can be pretty, if you ever get to meet him, he's, he's, he can be a pretty influential guy, right? So there, there, there was a local HMO in Tallahassee, Florida. Now, it's pretty cool because this never happens. But this HMO, they were, a, they were a non-for-profit branch of Blue Cross Blue Shield. So Blue Cross Blue Shield says, you do what you want. They insured 70% of the whole catchment area, right? Uh. So the majority of people in Tallahassee and the greater Tallahassee area were insured by them. There was a chief clinical officer, and I can't remember his name right now, but Chad, being the kind of guy he is, goes in and says, hey, let me do this, and we can do that, and we've got data to support this, and da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and the guy goes, thank you very much, I'll think about it. And then he says, two days later, go away, kid, you bug me. And it's over. I'm teaching a course out in San Diego, I'll never forget this. And Chad and I went out a day early because we were friends and we were on this pathway together and uh, we were playing golf. His phone rings and it's the chief medical officer for this this HMO. And he says, I can't sleep. I'm thinking about what you said. And if you're right, everything we're doing is wrong. I'll tell you what, we'll give you a pilot study. So. We did a pilot study with these people. Wow. And so they started sending all these patients to Chad and, and his partner, Tom Kane, was the other guy. He owned the clinic. Chad, because of this deal, Chad and Tom became partners. And then they asked me if I'd be a partner. And so I was doing the quality assurance from Austin, Texas. These guys are in, in Tallahassee. And they're, they're seeing patients and pay, And all of a sudden now there's 200 a month. There's no way they can. There's no way they can do it. Did you have a revenue stream for this pilot study, or you were just like, no, no just go just, for it? Yeah, right. And and but but they did give them a premium on a fee for service basis, and to continue to do this. So I'm the quality assurance guy. I'm the guy on the phone. And yeah, what about that patient? What about that patient? What about this guy? What about you? What about that guy? What if it go and that doesn't work? And what if that works? So we're doing this. And finally, Chad goes, "You gotta give me some help, man." <laughs> Right, so uh, there's a couple guys that had done diploma with me, and I called them up and said, "Hey, do you want to be part of something that's going to change the world?" And they're like, well, "Yeah, I'm in." So they moved to Tallahassee, Florida, and then that's how the whole thing kind of started, right? So think about this: you got an HMO, it has been ranked number one two or three times in a row by uh, uh, the the rate was NC, yeah, NCQA, the, the rating agency for for how good are you doing in healthcare. But they were in the 95th percentile in the nation for spine surgery, which is not a place you want to be if you're paying the bill. Yeah. That's how we got in. Chad got us in. We got a pilot study within, uh, I think it was within two years. It was the first glimpse we ever had of claims data because no one shares claims data. And they didn't share it with us. But what they told us was this. We're now in the, I think it was 67th percentile. We do fewer surgeries, we do fewer injections, and we do uh, fewer MRIs. We, we win, we're gonna give you guys a long-term contract. So that's how the whole thing started. But it was all based on data because we kept pen to paper data on every patient that went through, and it was really simple. By the third visit, if they weren't steadily improving in the outcomes, we knew that what was going to happen is they were going to crash and burn and we were doing something wrong. Either the diagnosis was wrong, the mechanical intervention was wrong, there was something psychosocially occurring that was getting in the way, or they didn't belong with us. They should have been referred on to somebody else. And so when we recognized this within the data, that's when we went, that's how you do quality assurance. You can actually do in real time quality assurance with clinicians if you have data points on every visit and then if you know how to analyze the data. And that's where this whole idea of, yeah, you can create standards. And trust me, we have, we have standards. We, we have 19 hours of online training for MDT trained clinicians and we train them to a standard. We recognize that they won't attain that standard or meet it consistently unless there's 
quality assurance that goes on every day. Now, quality assurance, you can do it anecdotally, you can do it subjectively, or you can use data. So what we did was we kept data on every patient and we would, early on, we would just put it into Excel spreadsheets and then I would look at it and look at it and look at it and go, there's the answer. Then over time, we started hiring consultants. Can you do this with computers? And yeah, they would, and they would put it in, and then they would do retrogression analysis. What ended up coming out of that was we built algorithms using retro, well, now you'd almost, you'd call it AI actually, but we would just do regression analysis and go, if these data points aren't improving, these outcomes go south. And if these data points are doing well to a certain level by the third visit, these people do well. So what we decided was, let's just use this, these algorithms we've created in our database and go, if that spits out you and your patient every week, you bring these patients to what we call now grand rounds and we'll have experts in the area to talk to you about that particular patient. Mm. And then if we do that, we should be able to guarantee an outcome. We should be able to know what's gonna happen. So we kept analyzing that. We got it to a point that we were getting outcomes that we weren't seeing in the literature. Mm. And that's when we said, okay, now we gotta figure out how to take this universally. And, and you know, we, look, I, and then Chad would say the same thing. We would love to tell you we knew exactly what to do and we got to the right people. Oh my God. We, we, we got so close so many times and then shut down. And then we got one really great break. And it was with Michelin Tire Company. And what happened was they were in a, they were ready to change. It was about your question about musculoskeletal. Yeah. The thing was, musculoskeletal was killing them. It was their number one chronic problem. It was financially a problem within their healthcare system. So because musculoskeletal became so prevalent, and you got to remember, you're dealing with engineers here, right? These are people that measured performance by the microsecond. These are people that are building the best tires on the planet. Everything they do is so data-based. And yet, they're spending all this money on healthcare, musculoskeletal, their number one problem, and they've got all these people that don't even work for them who are sending them bills. In other words, you've got, you've got third-party purchasers that don't work for you. Doctors, physical therapists, chiropractors, um, hospitals, and they're spending your money and you have no control over it. How, how do you think an engineering organization would feel about that? They got to a point where musculoskeletal was so out of control, they had to fix it. The other thing, too, I think our listeners might not realize is how big of the piece of a pie chart MSK actually is. You hear cancer, you hear metabolic, you hear right. diabetes, but then, like, at the end of the day, when they look at the, the data in these companies, like, MSK is a huge portion, way more than I think anybody probably realizes. Yeah, so... My, so Healthcare in general now eats up about 20% of the GDP, right? Which is crazy. That's insane. It's insanity. 4% of that. So think about it. One-fifth of that is musculoskeletal. Wow. Musculoskeletal has went from probably around the number six, seven, five at best 10, 15 years ago. It is now the number three two, one, depending on which company you're talking to, in terms of the, the, the medical issue that costs the most money. You think it's cancer, you think it's diabetes, you think it's heart disease, it's not. It's musculoskeletal. Mm-hmm. And so think about it. If you're the purchaser of musculoskeletal, now it's got your attention, <laughs> right? And, and what most people don't know is that 56% of all healthcare dollars are paid for by the self-insured industries of this country. So you may have a United Healthcare card, or you may have a Blue, Sh- Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield card. It doesn't matter. They're just the TPA. They're just the, 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 the third-party administrators who are signing the checks and paying the bill. For the guy who owns the bank account, 56% of all healthcare in this country is paid for by Ford Motor Company, by... Your, your, your city and, and, and state government, by Michelin Tire Company, by General Electric, by Apple, by Google. So do you not think that now that musculoskeletal is the number one spend 
and they're paying all the money that they're not going to get involved. And that's when, and, and I got to give Chad a lot of credit here. He goes, you know what, Mark? Because we were working with brokers and analysts and insurance companies and we kept getting so close and then they'd shut us down. Let's go to the self-insureds. And that was, you know, Chad and I got talking about it and he's like, I think this is the play. Perfect segue to what I want to ask you. Yeah. So uh, in the TPAs or like with the Blue Cross Blue Shield, let's say, can you explain why they ironically are not motivated by saving costs? Because I think that's actually like this crazy point because I think all our listeners are going to think, well, Blue Cross Blue Shield would love somebody who's treating people less, but there's like this weird irony in that they that's not actually the case. Can you? Yeah, because because the, the, the bukas they call them, right? So you've got Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare, and Aetna, and Cigna. And, and so you'd think, well, if you save them a bunch of money, they'd be very pleased, but that's not necessarily the truth because they're bound by their their government-driven contracts, right? The government says, hey, you're only allowed to make X. you got to spend so much money on administration and you got to put so much money back into the healthcare system. You're only allowed to make 13%. So this no matter, is so important for yeah. Listen, this is like the no, biggest irony ever. It's crazy. So no matter what happens, they just got to make 13%. So here's what happens. If they end up spending more and they only make 10% one year, they get to raise rates. <laughs> right? If they make 15%, they go, oh, shit, we're making 15%. We got to spend two on something. And so they send it out and they do other things. So... Now, they make more and more and more money when they control certain aspects of healthcare, right? So, for, for instance, let's, let's take Michelin Tire Company. This is a great one. So, Michelin Tire Company uses, oh, they used to use United Healthcare. I think they're changing. But let's say when they were using United Healthcare. So, United Healthcare, they would be the TPA. They're just signing, the con- they're just paying the bills. And, but they get paid for that. But then they go, oh, and by the way, Michelin, um, we'll build you a, a center of excellence. So they go in, they go to the different hospitals, they go to the surgeons, and they go, look, here's what happens. you got to decrease your infection rates, and, you know, it's not trying to kill too many people. <laughs> and, and, and here's what happens. As long as you do it within a certain percentage, we can pay you this much money. And by the way, but you, but you can't charge more than that. So then I can go back to Michelin, and I can tell them, this is what your surgeries are going to cost. And Michelin goes, well, you know what, last year we spent 115000 and this year we're going to spend one hundred and ten, and we'll buy your program. Right? So... so this TPA, this United Healthcare, they're making it on both ends because they're 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 paying all the bills and they charge every time, and then they're building up these other little programs and products and they get to make money on that. But if they insure the situation, they get to make thirteen percent, and they don't give a shit if it goes up or down because they get to change their fees so based insane. on it. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely nuts. So you would think the insurance companies would be behind a company like IMC who goes in, fixes the patient, keeps the cost down, and fixes the patient by training the clinicians, monitoring the outcomes. When the outcomes aren't making it, has grand rounds every week so the clinician is in a constant, never-ending learning curve. The patient gets the best care known to mankind, at least as best as we That's not fair. At least the best that IMC can do, which so far our data shows that it's better than anything else or is it's good how about that it's pretty good it's, it's as good as anything that's out there and and uh, and by the way I'll tell you the story how we got the first contract which is what we do now but but and but the bottom line is the insurance company at the end of the day they don't really care that much that is so right? and I mean that's going to surprise all our listeners yeah, so it's kind of sad so then in your model which I mean it no one really talks about, but I mean, I think this is like really turning the whole industry on its head, which is the potential provider is actually being rewarded for seeing the patient less times. What's happening now is whether we want to admit it or not, you are actually financially rewarded by seeing a patient more times, whether you're evidence-based or not, it's just a reality of the system. So what you guys created was a case rate, which is basically with the data that you guys collected, you're able to determine, you know, like if I see this ICD-10 code, I know this case is worth this amount of money. So for once in all of our lives, you're actually being rewarded for less visits. So yeah, I can you talk, I mean, how did you, like, I mean, this is so revolutionary. No one... No one's giving you guys enough credit for like how insane this is because I think all of our listeners are in that, you know, we're, we're in that evidence-based circle. We're, sure. we're trying to figure this all out and we're all 
you know, in our field, it's really ironic. I can't think of another field that is like this where you're actually potentially penalized by doing a good ethical job, which is that's insane, right? Yeah, it's insane, right? So, so you know, Chad and I discussed this in depth over a lot of time and you know we looked yeah and a lot of wine so so we looked at fee for service right we said look if we're going to provide this product we're just going to charge a premium to fee for service we're going to go in and go hey you pay us this much per unit but but you know what we want double that and and for that what you're going to get is we'll guarantee a clinical outcome and not only that because we 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 know what's going to happen in the claims we'll even guarantee you a savings right so that's that's, that's where we're at now. But then we, the more we spend time on it, we go, case rate's better. Because case rate takes all the perversity out of the fee-for-service system. So if we're going to expand and develop, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have employees, but we're also going to have affiliates. And we're going to have a network of affiliates. And, and look, we're going we're to have affiliates we've never met. So how can we be sure Right? We're quality assuring the clinical outcome, but how do we know they're not overbilling? How do we know they're, you know, not milking it a hair or two? And if they do, we look at it. It's not going to work. So we went to the organizations we were working with and said, look, I know this is kind of hard for you to understand. We want a case rate. And there's two reasons. A, we want to be paid for what we're doing because we're not selling you chiropractic, we're not selling you physical therapy. We're selling you an outcome. You're buying an outcome. That's all you're buying. And how we get it, that's our business. Mm-hmm. However, we also are frustrated by the current system of fee-for-service, and we can't guarantee you that there's not going to be the odd guy that doesn't try to pad the system. So we're going to protect you mm-hmm. by you paying us a service. Now, you're used to saying, well... At least if we pay fee-for-service, we know they spend a lot of time with patients. The more time someone's got to spend with a patient, the more the longer they're a patient. You don't want these people to be patients. You want these people to be tire producers. You let me take care of the outcome, which means they're a patient for the least amount of time humanly possible. And I guarantee you, when you let me take care of the patient piece, you got tire producers. You got to trust us on this. And they went for it. Hmm. And they said, okay, you know what? We're going to do this. If you can guarantee us that you will get an outcome and you can guarantee us that you will save us X amount of dollars, I'll give you a case rate. And that's how it started. And then for Michelin, Mark, how were you able to control steerage? Obviously, people have their their right to go see their Cairo, their PT, their massage service, whatever it might be. How were you able to make these people funnel into your system? What right. was the incentive? All right. So, so as you well know, there are carrots and there are sticks, right? And so our advice was, why don't you give them some carrots, right? Give them a little more money so they come to see us or figure something out. Give them a day off. Hey, go see IMC, take a day off. You know what? Here's some flowers for your husband. But the point is, give them something that's positive. Um, No, we're not going to do that. So the other way you can do that is you can stop the MRI in non-emergent environments. You can say no to surgery unless you've seen an IMC clinician. Mm -hmm. That's the path they took. And you know what? By the way, it it works. You know you were saying something about um, we know that downstream costs, once a guy has an MRI, it is not, it's it's pretty excessive. Here's what it is. We have done, not only with Michelin, but we have done this data collection, data analytics of billions of dollars of musculoskeletal care. And what we found is this. If you have an MRI, the cost is four times (laughs) than if you don't. That's just the data. That's, That's what happens. So our point to Michelin was, Get us out in front of the MRI, and we'll fix people, and we'll save you money. Hmm. Let them have an MRI, and now we got a problem. Hmm. And so what they did was they created a stick. You can have an MRI, but you got to pay for it. Hmm. But if you go through these guys first, we'll pay for everything. So that's what they did. It was like a carrot stick thing. So, so the only way really that we found the, thus far that creates the kind of steerage that you're talking about so that we can make an impact not only from a clinical perspective but also from an economic is there has to be something built in to the plan design that gets out in front 
of a patient getting an MRI. They can have a surgical consult, though we prefer they didn't. They can have one, but they can't have an MRI. Because so for our listeners, to, Mar- to Mark's point, just so you know the money we're talking about, that study that we were talking about, Webster in 2013, it basically, the average cost of that case was $13,000. Like if you did that MRI. So, I mean, that number, to me, it just sounds so staggering. For an MRI that could probably cost cash rate 500 bucks. Okay, so right. take 500 bucks. You know, but I mean, but that's right. Say, cause so how know, do you explain the 12,500 then at that point? You know, know, how does that drive care, right? Because we, we know that MRIs are not sensitive. We know that it can pick up your grandmother's warts. Mm-hmm. And we know that conservative care is not overly successful right well, so, yeah after right so so no even before so think about this just, just go to go go to the wild just go to the general wild here's what happens 60 to 65 to 70 percent of all musculoskeletal starts the primary care office right they have very limited training in how to examine and treat musculoskeletal and they'll they'll admit it if you sit down with them and have a drink with them and they'll go well you know what now that you're saying it Nobody taught me anything. I kind of learn as I go, right? So I'm telling you, half the medical schools in this country, guess what? Two weeks of musculoskeletal. It's 30% of their day. They get two weeks, half the medical schools. The other half, they get nothing. By the way, the two the, the, the groups that get two weeks, it's an elective, right? Right now, IMC is, is the preceptor for the uh, musculoskeletal program for TMH's resident uh, their, their, their primary care residency program. Do you know how long it has taken for us to finally get into that spot? And what we're hearing from the residents is, yeah, this is great because we're getting a lot more musculoskeletal. And when I tell them, do you know that when you get out of here, a 30-year day is going to be musculoskeletal? And they go, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and I go, are you pretty good at diabetes? Yeah. How's heart disease? Excellent. How do you do with just general... Population health. I think I'm pretty prepared. How do you feel about musculoskeletal? Don't know a thing. <laughs> it's like, it's, and then you think about it and you go, wow, that's, but they're the decision makers. And what do they do? If they don't know, they boot it. Mm-hmm. They boot it to x ray, they boot it to some medications. And if the problem doesn't go away on its own, they might boot it to chiropractic, they might boot it to physical therapy. But we all know it's that, a shot in the dark. yeah, and 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 because physical therapy is a profession, chiropractic it's a profession. It's not a process or a way of doing things. Or so, a procedure. Or no, a, there's no standardization whatsoever. So, if you're a family doctor and you kick it into conservative care, you don't know what you're getting. All someone has to do is fail for a couple of weeks. Now they get an image. Once that MRI is in place, they, it can't be ignored. Whatever that thing shows, and we all know the false positives are incredible. Once it shows it, an orthopedic surgeon, how can you blame them? They failed conservative management. This is my training. It's right in front of me. I'm doing something with it. Mm-hmm. it That's why it's 12, 13,000. Mm-hmm. But we all know, though, from an MDT perspective, and I can only vouch for this because it's the only thing that I do, is that 92% of these are mechanical. And, and actually, if you know what you're doing, and or if you continue to build your skill set, you can figure it out. You're not Nostradamus, but if you're making a prediction, so in saying everything that we just said, 10 years from now, would a TPA ever embrace a case rate? Or is that just like so far off that like we shouldn't even talk about? I mean, like in, in your honest opinion, I mean, is right. it... So you is, that, asked, is that possible in our lifetime? Or absolutely. Not? So, or not? <laughs> you know, yes, or you no. Know, you asked the wrong guy. Like weatherman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right. right. Mark Miller, weatherman. Uh-huh. So, so when 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 my wife and family and Empty I, hand, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when, Inside joke later. No, no, later. You you explain it to him. Yeah. Don't involve me. Now, you can reference me, but don't involve me. So when my wife and I and my, and my children we moved to Tallahassee, Florida, um, we signed a three-year deal. With Chad, because when you think about it, if you've got data and you're on the right track, how long can it take to change healthcare? Well, here I am, <laughs> still working at it. So you're now asking me a question about. Well, you still have a partner. That's no, a, that's no, no, it's a very good point. Yeah. It's a very good point. So, do I see case rates 
being the methodology in the future? And, I, and the answer is yes. And our organization is doing everything we can to do it. Um, yes, I think you're going to see it in your lifetime, but you're only going to see it for that group that will, A, be doing something that's different because what's being done isn't working. Musculoskeletal is now the number two chronic problem in the world. So if it's not new, it ain't happening. It has to be scientifically supported, which means there must be enough science behind it to make it reasonable. Three, there must be patient-based evidence. There's gotta be enough patient-based evidence to take what the science says might have an opportunity to make it generalizable. Four, it's gotta be scalable. You can't go into somebody and go, hey, I got really something great, but I can only do it here in St. Louis. Case rates, are you kidding me? They're not gonna buy it. And five, it must be good enough that the clinician that's supplying it is willing to go at risk. But if you're willing to go at risk, they're willing to pay. If you're willing to say, you know what, I'm telling you, I'll contract this with you. I will contract to you that I will get these clinical outcomes on scientific-based metrics. I'll do it for you, which is one of the things our organization does. And I'll guarantee you that we'll show you these every quarter. And if they drop down, I'll pay you back. Oh, and by the way, what I'll also do is this. At the end of the year, you take every patient we saw and you match pair it with those that were seen in, in, in the community. And I'll guarantee you that it is going to be this much cheaper. I'll give you this percent. And if it's not, whatever I didn't create, I'll pay you back. Hmm. Which means we know we can do it and we know we'll provide it. And by the way, you have no risk. I'll take all the risk. I'll take it. And when you can do that, you can get all the case rates you want. But that's and, and, and by the way, to your listeners, don't feel the pressure of having to be able to do that. That's not fair. But our organization's been able to do it. Mark, in the most ultimate push your chips all in moment right. of your life with Michelin, can you tell our listeners what you basically you basically guaranteed and I mean how that probably closed the deal I would imagine right and then, at that moment you had to just been like oh I got reevaluating everything at that point as long as you promise me that my wife will never hear this podcast <laughs> I will tell you this story this is this is a true story so so We've gone up to Michelin a couple of times, all right? And let's face it, it was it was a little bit intimidating. Yeah. Like, like I, I'd love to tell you that we went in confident. Oh, <laughs> wait till they get a load of us. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, they're talking to us. You know? And so they're listening. Yeah, that's right. But here's what we do: we knew that musculoskeletal was on their mind, and we knew that they were looking for an answer. But our problem was. We were just a small little organization, and we were really just sort of getting started, and, and, and we didn't have that much data. And the only, the only actual financial data that we had was that little thing from that capital health plan story I told you. Okay. We didn't even have the dollar amount. What we had to do was take the fact that they went from number 95 to 67, and we had to extrapolate, and they had to look at the, and we we figured out maybe what the cost might be, right? So that's what Chad and I had. And we went to them a couple of times, and, and, and they were obviously interested. So I'll never forget this. I'll never forget as long as I live. So we had this our clinic in Tallahassee, just doing very well. We're local guys, and we're at, at, at least at that level. That's going well. So we had this boardroom, right? And we had the, the big speakerphone in the middle. It was like the Jerry Maguire thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're, we're on the phone with this fella, and I won't say his name because... I don't, it's not fair. But um, anyway, he is the purchaser for Michelin. This is a guy, think about this. He's buying, and I can't tell you the dollar amount, so I'll make one up, but it's kind of close. Um, how about not a billion, but not a million? Mm. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right? He purchases that much healthcare every year for this company. He's the negotiator, right? So that's the guy we got on the phone. And we've been with him like four or five times, right? So we're in this meeting and we know, Chad and I know, we can smell it. The contract's going to happen, right? And the phone's on. And Chad and I are walking around the table. And we're like, we're nervous and we're, but we're excited and we're, we're frustrated. And this guy's nailing us and nailing us. He's nickel and diamond the living heck out of us, right? Finally, Chad goes, holy crow, 
Mike? Okay, th those weren't the exact words. <laughs> and, and he goes, we're going to save you 40% on your health care dollar, and you are killing us. And I look over at chat and I go, 40%? What the hell are you doing? And I'm, I'm mouthing it, right? And he goes, and he shrugs his shoulder, and he's like, like, I don't know, you know, right? And, and then and there's silence. And the guy goes, 40%? You're going to save us 40%. Chad's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and we're like, oh. Chad goes, yeah, 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 we're going to save you 40%. He goes, you'll put it in a contract. We're looking at each other, and I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. He goes, fine, I'll send the contract over, click. Right? We took the phone off. We jump into each other's arms. We're hugging each other. We're like, we got the contract, man. We got the contract. And then we separate. We go, oh my God. <laughs> what did you Oh my God. We got the contract. We never told anyone. We never told a soul. We, we, we signed the contract. <laughs> and we killed it. 56%. Let's go. You know it, baby. 56% the first year. Six months into the contract, they called us up and said we want to do a long term. It was like, that was it. And you know what? We kind of knew we could. We were, had all the quality assurance and the standardization pieces in place, though, by the way, at that time, we didn't have it so data-enabled that it was perfect. We didn't, we didn't have it running through databases and coming back. We didn't have all that science, but we had spreadsheets. We kept outcomes on everybody. It was like, oh, that guy's not doing good. All right, Miller, get in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, <laughs> But we did it, you know? And it, it's so funny looking back now because at the time, you know, it, it was fairly traumatic, but the next day we got over it and it's like, hey, let's get on with it, man. We got stuff to do. And we, we didn't tell our wives. <laughs> Good choice. We'll yeah. edit that out. No, no. And, and that's it, you know? So so that that's how it happened. And 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 but the cool thing is, it happened. Mm. And we were able to do it. And so what was happening was we were we were recognizing that our standardization maybe not but at least our quality assurance or something between the two of them it was working mm. we could actually get better clinical outcomes than currently was happening in the in the wild and it was saving money so you think about this we all think we're good clinicians they have to think they're doing a great job otherwise how can you go to work every day you can't do it you don't know till you measure mm. And then once you start to measure, you got to go, all right, I can accept this. How do I improve? Hmm. But that's what we've built. Because the only way to change musculoskeletal healthcare delivery is to ensure that A, it's a better product, B, it gets them better, C, they stay better, and D, you can scale it. Hmm. So in E, you save money. I mean, I think the thing that is really. You never really see this in the business world. In your model right now, what you're proposing is you are actually decreasing cost, but you're increasing value. That's correct. You really don't see that. I mean, like, no. usually, I mean, if you're going to decrease cost, you're going to, like, you're gonna cut substitute value. value on something. Right. But, like, this is, like, the perfect storm of no, that's economics exactly. or whatever. Well, no, no. Like, if you think about it, if... Um, think about the, the, the... It came out of Harvard Business School. It was a guy named Michael Porter. And he came up with the healthcare uh, value equation. And what, he, it, what it was was outcome divided by cost. It, it, look, if the cost is too much, you can't pay for the outcome. But if you don't get the outcome, no matter how little it costs, it's irrelevant. Right. Right? Just think about this. Here's a novel idea. Fix the person. <laughs> And it costs less money. It's amazing. It's phenomenal when you think about it. The problem is the way the current payment system is. Don't fix. Don't fix. And you make more money. It's nuts. So you know what? You want to change healthcare? Go to the guy that's paying the bill. And when he pays it, it hurts him. He'll help you. And that's what we did. But before you can do that, you have to have a process that actually resolves the condition. And not only resolves it, because we didn't just look at cost, we looked at downstream cost. In other words, we own that patient for a year. And you gotta remember, the deal we made was, it's not 
what you pay us. It's what you pay everybody for that person mm -hmm. for one year after we're done. Mm. You better make sure you know what you're doing mm -hmm. before you make that promise, right? Mm -hmm. So how did we know? We knew because we had enough information from the pilot study we did with that original little thing that Chad put together in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm -hmm. And we were hoping that we could universalize it. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do it. And now that's what our company is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. And so your question is, what do I see in terms of uh, case rates? Well, as long as we can continue to grow and develop, and all the, all the market spoilers who are trying to jump into this musculoskeletal world because everybody wants an answer now, so there's a lot of money. And what you're seeing is venture capital money is diving into this right now. So anybody who's got a technological approach, <laughs> they're getting millions and millions of dollars. And so then if I'm your listener, I go, well, why haven't I, as an IMC, taken on venture money? Because they're going to want to return in three years. <laughs> and I learned... 13 years ago, it takes more than three years, right? So if we let venture in and they want to control, then healthcare transformation doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Just people make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Healthcare transformation is necessary. Why? Because low back pain is the number one chronic problem in the world. And musculoskeletal is the number two. And if you have the key to the door and you don't open it up, there's a place that you'll end up in. The bottom line is this. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know what we're doing. We all have a responsibility because we have an answer. Mm -hmm. So now the question is, how do we get it out there? And the incumbents don't want it. Mm -hmm. The big payers really don't care. So what do you do? You go to the people that care the most. And what we found is the self-insured employers of this country, they now care. And they're interested in changing healthcare. So as long as you can A, show them something different, B, show them that the science agrees, C, show them that you've got patient-based evidence that allows you to generalize it, D, shows them that they can save money doing it. And the last one, can you scale it so that you can cover their whole population? And when you can do those things, they're gonna help you. And that's where we're at now, it's kinda cool. Mm -hmm. Mark, in the timeline of everything we've just talked about, I remember when I was young, I read Ronald Donaldson's book on rapidly reversing. Yeah. So where did that fit in? Did that motivate you or did that book come after your thoughts? How would you describe? Okay. Well, I'd love to tell you that um, Ron and I kind of got on the scene around the same time, right? But he was an orthopedic surgeon. I was a physical therapist. So there's a total pole, right? So, how would you make this, this joke? Don't talk to chiropractors about totem pole. Right? <laughs> so, you know, We're here, you're here. No, right? so, so I'm with patients, right? They'll go, hey, can you get me an MRI? And I go, do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, I go, here's the way this works. You know, there's your, your orthopedic and neurosurgeons, and then there's your specialists, and then there's your uh, primary care physicians, and then your, you know, PAs and nurse practitioners, and then there's your, you know, there's us, there's your physical therapist, and then, and then, and then there's the janitor. <laughs> you know, I, I, I tell you what, I can't get you an MRI, but I can get your, I can get your floor washed. <laughs> I, I can make a phone call right now, man. I can, I can make that happen. <laughs> right? so, 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 so when I meet Ron Donaldson, right? Ron is like, whoa, he's like, he's MDT, like he's the golden child, right? Because he, he just published a centralization paper in, I think it was nineteen eighty seven, uh, that showed that centralization is uh, something that can help you predict outcomes and stuff. And so when I met him, I was, I was really excited. And then him and I got talking a couple of you know a little bit and, and and this was after I trained with Robin and um, he says how'd you like to move to Syracuse that's how I that's how I got into America I said well what are you doing there he goes well, we're gonna we're gonna research uh, acute back pain and I said I'm in I'll summer practice I'm coming so that yeah so I know Ron very very well he's a great guy and, and actually Ron published the the first uh, or, well, Kevin Spratt was the lead author. Ron was the second author. I think it was, uh, it was vice versa. But the, I don't know if you've read the paper where we were able to show that uh, using an MDT trained clinician who was standardized and quality assured, when you compared their financial impact on low back pain to the wild, uh, you were able to decrease low back pain costs by 56%. That's Ron's paper. 
So I, I, I'm I, Ron and I have been friends for since 1992, 93, wow. and but he's worked with IMC in a number of different uh, ways. He has a researcher. He's helped us with a number of different concepts and ideas, and uh, yeah. So Ron, well, to me in his book, like he kind of exposes some stuff. You guys were the implementers. Would you agree or no? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, I would agree with that for sure. And 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 again, Ron's book. You know, we still use it for support on the scientific side. When you look at the big five that I've described a couple of times, Ron's work helps us with on the science side mm-hmm. because you got to have science behind something, or or you're you're not going to be able to let get people to feel comfortable with what you're introducing. You got to remember, we're walking into these organizations and we're saying. We'd like to change just uh, everything you're doing. <laughs> and when you read the title of Ron's book, I remember when I was a student thinking I'm like going to dive into this mechanical book, and it actually ended up being a book about the payer system and the, you know kind of exposing the yeah. problem. It's kind of like a really interesting. No one knows about this book. Nobody. It's like you talk about a book that just flew under the radar. You know, it's insane. Yeah, it makes no sense. You know, Ron. Ron has tried many times around a, a, a number of different ventures to try to get the physicians of the world to start paying attention to this so they'll change the way they train in terms of musculoskeletal and, and, and you know what I know him and he'll do it I'm telling you his last breath will be you gotta change you gotta fix it you gotta try harder you know and and he's all about the science his book is I think his book it's is great <laughs> he was a good man oh we love that guy <laughs> yep yep but uh, he's still working at it. He's still trying. He's got it. He's, he actually has a couple of po- cod, uh, cod pasts. That would be the wine talking about yep. the fishing on the East Coast. Yep. But he also has a couple of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and, uh, and those podcasts are around teaching primary care to better understand what the science is saying about what you should do with low back pain. So, he, yeah, he hasn't stopped. He's still going. Mm-hmm. I love it. Awesome. Well, uh, what a what a whirlwind of two podcast episodes that we've got down, Mark. Thank you so much for not only inspiring us to collect data, to pay attention to your patients, to stay inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I've. Uh, we're so lucky to be able to sit down with guests like Mark that and I'm so invigorated and inspired to keep pushing forward in my in my clinical practice and the profession and to, to really to, to improve musculoskeletal care in general and so uh, you've kind of laid the outcomes for us and the, the groundwork and so uh, thank you again uh, we owe you more wine that's for dang sure so <laughs> no, it's been my pleasure and look at if you know if something comes up the podcast and we create change whether it's local or whether it's statewide or nationally I'll do it all day Long. Where can people find more about IMC? They can just hit the website. Beautiful. Yep, IMC, I think it's imcpt.com. Beautiful. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you uh, for tuning in, and uh, man, what a cool episode. So uh, keep crushing patience on Monday, and uh, we'll be back for more.